Hello, friends. This is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Ki Chan. What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. This podcast is your source of the latest trend in public health. And for folks out there working in public health, yay to you. This podcast will help refresh your skill sets, upskills, reskill, and get the latest tips on professional development so you can do your best work serving the public. After 15 years of working in the field and over a decade of teaching in public health, I listen to so many stories and encounter so many unsung heroes working in public health and making a different an impact every day in your life. And we sometimes don't even notice them. So let's give them a thanks to our unsung hero by having them share their stories here. Hello, friends. This is public health working at its hardest to ensure the safety and protection of the lives of our community against the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. We have many superheroes, frontline health workers, people who are not able to take time off, who are working in the community. We need to give thanks to those superheroes. It is mid-March 2020, and if you're listening to this episode around this time, then you're quite aware that we have travel bans to several European countries, Asia, and anyone entering these places will be quarantined for at least two weeks. Schools, bars, restaurants, libraries, amusement parks have closed in many cities that are impacted by the coronavirus. It is used as a preventive measure to slow down the spread of the virus, even if there's not even a case, an effective case yet. It is used as a preventive measure. And just last week, our president announced that any social gatherings with more than 50 attendees will be canceled. And most recently, given the new evidence of the spread of the virus and those who have been impacted, social gatherings with more than 10 attendees will be canceled. Many states has already activated the Incident Command Emergency Response, which is a standardized system that enables a coordinated response among various entities in the public health system to establish a common planning process and then management of resources and allows for integration into a common organizational structure. This allow us to work together to fight the coronavirus. I'm your host, Dr. Ki Chan. I'm a professor of public health, and I received my PhD in epidemiology of microbial diseases from Yale University School of Public Health, and a master's in management from Harvard University. And I also have a master's of science in biology with a concentration in immunology, which is basically the study of the immune system. My thesis focused on DNA vaccination. Many people have asked me what are my thoughts about the coronavirus. I see the issue of the coronavirus from different perspectives. Effective communication of science to the general public is critical to reduce misconceptions, stigma, and fear. And as a citizen, a community member, a family member, friend, just like you, I ask myself, how am I dealing with my own fears and concerns about the coronavirus? My husband is a physician, and he still goes to work every single day during this crisis to see his patient. He doesn't complain. He goes to work knowing that that is what his mission is to be. His purpose is to serve and to care for his patient. And I am so proud of him. As a teacher, this is a great teaching moment about public health, infectious disease epidemiology, about emergency preparedness, public health management, leadership. And as a professor, there are so many interesting research questions to evaluate the spread and the impact of the virus on the public response. And as a member of our community, how the virus is impacting me, my family, and friends. In this episode, I will discuss our current understanding of the coronavirus and lessons we are learning for the future about public health and emergency preparedness. 
In the past few weeks, I've been asked by many to share my thoughts on coronavirus due to my background in public health management and epidemiology. And this is what I like to share with you so far. And the questions I've been asked is, what is the coronavirus? Coronavirus are a group of viruses that can cause a range of symptoms, including a runny nose, cough, a sore throat, and fever. Some are mild, such as the common code, while others are more likely to lead to pneumonia, which can be very lethal. They usually spread through direct contact with an affected person. Most recently, research has shown that the virus can stay airborne for a few hours and even on surfaces for a few days. That is why proper hygiene, such as hand washing for at least 20 seconds, is very critical to help stop the spread of the virus. So let's talk about the virus. Let's learn a little bit more about its structure. The virus has spikes on the surface, which is how Corona gets its name, crown light spikes on the surface. Corona is Latin for crown. In general, a virus is made up of RNA or DNA with protein coating and sometimes a fatty coating. Viruses can't replicate itself. What I mean by that is viruses can't make more copies of itself. It can only reproduce itself by infecting other cells. That means it infects us in order to make more of them. So how does the coronavirus infect us? Well, the human cell is binding to the COVID-19 spike protein. Do you remember that I mentioned that coronavirus had these spike proteins? Well, that is very important because that's how the coronavirus gets into our lung tissue. Once the receptor binds to the spike protein, our proteases, which is basically protein enzyme that cuts up protein, our proteases on our cell breaks apart the spike protein and activates it and allows the virus to get into our cells. Once inside the cell, it replicates, making more copy of itself. It basically hijacks our cell machinery. It injects its own RNA into our cell, turns it back into DNA to send it through the system to make more copy of itself. RNA then gets turned into protein, and then that gets reassembled into a viral protein. It gets reassembled and then secretes out of the cell and as it secretes out of the cell, the cell itself is destroyed. Have we ever seen anything like this before? Yes, we have seen something like this, and sometimes we forget. In fact, COVID-19 is the third pathogenic novel coronavirus to emerge over the past two decades. The first one was discovered in 2003, named SARS. It was a serious and atypical pneumonia. The second was MARS, which emerged a decade later in the Middle East. Since its identification, there has been 2,494 cases of MARS infection and nearly 900 deaths. The SARS epidemic proved larger but was less deadly with approximately 8,000 cases and about 800 deaths. So how does it compare to other viruses such as the flu? In the U.S., the flu has caused 12,000 to 61,000 deaths annually since 2010 according to the CDC. The next question I get is, how infectious is a specific virus? Well, you look at the R factor, the R number, which refers to the number an infected person can infect people. So for example, the chickenpox. For every one person with chickenpox, they can infect a lot of people, eight people. And with measles, 15 people. And with SARS, the flu, it can have deadly outcomes. 
Without knowing the denominator, it's really hard to understand how fatal it is. When you listen to the news and you hear the case fatality rate ranging from 1% to 5%, it may sound very scary. But we really don't know the number of true cases. That meaning the numbers of people who have the disease and that may be infected but have not died. It is a lot easier to track the numbers of deaths. So the numerator, which is the number of deaths, is divided by the denominator, which is the number of cases. For example, if there was a thousand deaths divided by a hundred thousand cases, the case fatality would be one percent. That is a thousand divided by a hundred thousand. If we were to continue testing and we were able to increase the number of cases to be identified to be two hundred thousand, and the numbers of deaths remains the same in this example, a thousand divided by two hundred thousand the case fatality would be 0.5%. And if we continue testing and we're able to find the true case, which is maybe 500,000, so 1,000 divided by 500,000, the case fatality drops to 0.2%. This is why it is so important to understand the denominator. In order to understand the denominator, we need to continue testing. However, the problem here is that there is a testing capacity issue. There's not enough tests. There's a limit in terms of healthcare capacity, the frontline workers, how many doctors and nurses and medical staff that's available to assist with the testing. And we'll talk about that later on in the podcast. So what else do we know about this virus? Well, we can follow the evolution of the virus across the world using this website called nextstrand.org. That's N-E-X-T S-T-R-A-I-N dot O-R-G. On this website, nextstrand.org, you can see the different infections and how the virus has been moving around the world. As the virus moves, they mutate, meaning small changes to its genetic code. It could be just a couple base pair changes, and this can allow the virus to create new proteins that are slightly a little different from its origin. And by identifying how it changes and comparing its genetic similarity, we can track its spread. We can see how the virus diverged across its movement through China, through Europe, through the US. And as it moves through the world, you can see that it slightly changes, slightly mutates. Why is this important? It is important to keep in mind that the virus compared to other viruses hasn't really changed that significantly. However, based on the evidence provided um, using the genomic sequencing and comparative analysis, scientists believe that there could be two strains of the virus. One could be more lethal than the other. How infectious is the COVID-19? Well, based on what we know following the patterns in Italy and in China, the virus is following an exponential growth curve. So based on what we know about viruses, if five people had the seasonal flu and each person can infect 1.3 other people, then after five cycles, 45 people are infected. But on the other hand, if five people have the novel COVID-19, each person can infect 2.6 other people, twice as much. So what does that mean? After five cycles, 368 people can be sick compared to the flu, which is 45 people can be infected. This is why the COVID-19 is spreading so quickly. 
if you look at the pattern in China from January to March, it is around early March, the virus pattern starts to move in an exponential curve. The problem with exponential growth of a virus is that from January to February, the curve of the total number of corona cases were almost flat. So it's very deceiving. And then in mid-February to mid-March, that's when it shoots up. And in a few weeks, we see a quickly ramp up of cases. As of March 19, 2020, China have a total of 80,928 coronavirus cases and a total death of 3,245. Today, it reported no new local infection for the first time. Today, Italy surpasses China for the largest number of corona-related deaths at 3,405, its largest one-day total. In mid-February, in the U.S., we had about 15 cases. Then in the next week, we had 100 cases. And by early March, we had over 1,000 cases. If we superimpose all three graphs from Italy, China, and the U.S., U.S. is following the curve of Italy. Unless we contain the spread of the virus, it is about changing the R factor, the R number. And how do we get the R factor close to 1 or 0 instead of 2.6? If we don't change the R factor, then we are looking at Italy as a preview of what could happen in two weeks in the U.S. We can change the R factor by reducing the number of people that can potentially get infected by implementing public health practices such as social distancing, increasing testing, and hand washing. Recommendation for containing the spread of the virus. Number one, hand washing for 20 seconds so you don't touch your face or other people. Hand washing works because the virus is a self-assembled protein with RNA and its weakest link is its fatty lipid bilayer. The soap dissolves the fat membrane and the virus falls apart and thus becomes inactive. You can't spread an inactive virus. Number two is social distancing. If there is no social distancing, you will see the exponential growth of the virus. When you social distance for one day, you can see that the spread slows down. Then you can see a huge difference in the number of infected people and every one person can infect two or three people which can cause things to grow out of control. So if you can slow down the curve just by social distancing for one day, can you imagine how you can slow down the curve by social distancing for an extended period of time? So where did the evidence come from for social distancing? Well, in 1913, the Spanish flu at the time, Philadelphia was raising money for military and they had a military parade. Philadelphia decided to continue on with their parade, whereas St. Louis decided to cancel the parade. And if you look at the curve, you can see there was a spike in the numbers of deaths on October 19, 250 per 100,000, compared to St. Louis, which had a slower curve, 15 per 100,000 on October 19. Thus, they flattened the curve. This is the benefit of social distancing. So what does it mean to flatten the curve for our community? Well, during a pandemic, the number of people affected and dying will continue to increase. Over time, the curve may taper out and the number affected and death will decrease. But we have a huge problem. If we wait for the virus to die out, because we only have a certain capacity within our healthcare system, as seen in Italy and South Korea, we only have so many ICU beds and ventilators. 
In the U.S., we only have 110,000 ICU beds and 65,000 ventilators, and already those ICU beds and ventilators are being used. If everyone gets badly sick at the same time, then we will have to ration healthcare, meaning if we can't slow down the spread, then doctors will need to decide who would live and who would die. But if we practice hand washing and social distancing, where we can slow down the spread over time so that we can get the rate of infection to fall below the healthcare capacity line, which can allow the healthcare system to allocate the resources to meet the needs and demand, we can't wait for a vaccine, which would take about a year to develop. And while treatments are being developed, it won't be fast enough to stop the virus. But we can slow down the spread so the healthcare system can cope with it. If you don't think you need to do social distancing or you're too young so that you won't get the disease or it's just a burden to your lifestyle, it's not just about you. It's about the people around you. You can protect your community and the vulnerable people in your life, the elderly, the people who have underlying health conditions, by social distancing, by washing your hand, and keeping a positive attitude. What can we learn from other countries about flattening the curve? In China, they implemented the total lockdown of an entire city to quarantine the infected people and people who could be potentially infected. They put you in isolation, which means even if you don't know if you have it, but you're close enough to other people who do. In China, they also developed an app to track you. If you didn't have this app with this code, you couldn't travel to different provinces. In South Korea, they did massive testing every day. They have drive-through testing and are about to offer 20,000 tests per day. So how do I test for coronavirus? Right now, the most conventional way is PCR. The virus is a ball of protein surrounding the RNA. Doctors take a sample from the nose and throat and amplify the genome using real-time reverse transcriptase PCR. What are other possible treatments? Well, right now there is no treatment, only supportive care for those infected. However, many companies are creating many different treatments using universal vaccines, gene therapy, DNA, mRNA vaccines, and even protease inhibitor. We may be able to develop the first universal flu vaccine to the conservative part of the spike protein that doesn't mutate easily. Remember, the spike protein binds to our cell receptor. Using CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, which stands for Cluster Regulatory Interspace Short Palindromic Repeat, which is the new type of gene therapy. It is like a molecular scissor that finds the DNA with this misspelling and replaces it with the correct spelling. If we know the viral genome, we can find the sequence that is activating the virus and cut it out. Another potential treatment is using DNA vaccine or mRNA vaccine. Putting the DNA or mRNA under the skin will allow it to be incorporated into your cells. Your cells will then make pieces of the virus and have you mount an immune response. It is a much faster way to make a vaccine. Another therapy in development is protease inhibitors. The corona spike protein recognizes the ACE2 and gets into our cells. Right now, companies are developing a protease inhibitor that can block the protease from helping the virus attaching to our cells. Where are we now and where are we going? We have better collective action now. Private and public sectors are coming together to invest in prevention and treatment for COVID-19. Right now, many organizations are donating money to produce masks and gloves. Even Louis Vuitton is using their perfume factory to make hand sanitizer. Other entrepreneurs are using 3D printers to help make new hospital equipment. We have better buy-in 
early on in public health practices such as social distancing and hand washing. We could be better with tracking. In China, apps have been developed to track infected people, where they are, who they've been in contact with, and then information is shared directly with local officials, which can help track the pattern of spread. We could be better with testing. Currently, there's a lack of available test kits in the U.S. We could have better updated policy regarding testing. Who is tested? And we could invest more in the public health system. But here are some good news. China has closed down its last coronavirus hospital. Not enough new cases to support them. Apple has reopened all 42 China shops. Cleveland Clinic developed a COVID-19 test that gives results in hours, not days. There's some good news from South Korea, where the number of cases is declining. And there are stories of many coronavirus patients who have fully recovered and able to return to everyday life. A San Diego biotech company is developing a COVID vaccine in collaboration with Duke University and National University of Singapore. Plasma from a newly recovered patient from COVID-19 can treat others infected with COVID-19. So where do we go from here? Practice public health measures, such as hand washing for 20 seconds to kill off the virus off your hands so you're not spreading it to other people. Participate in social distancing. It can help slow down the spread of the virus. Stay at home. My husband is a doctor and he's going to work to see his patients in his clinic. He stays at work so you can stay at home. So please participate in social distancing. Don't bombard the ER for coronavirus testing. The ER is a place for people who had an accident, heart attack, and for urgent care. And there is right now limited capacity for doctors to treat all those who are in need. I know it can be scary and you want to get tested, but if you are truly infected, going to the ER where people already have underlying conditions and are immune compromised, where they already have a weak immune system, will get them exposed to the coronavirus too. Right now, there are drive through clinics being set up where samples can be taken from your nose and throat while you're sitting in your car and you're not exposing the virus to anyone else. You can find out more about these drive throughs by paying attention to your local public health department's announcement. And last, let's take care of each other today for a future together tomorrow. Give special thanks to our superheroes, doctors, frontline health workers, public health workers, caring and supporting our people. If you have questions about the coronavirus or about public health, please connect with me. I'll try my best to answer those questions. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, by email, or also leave a voice message on my podcast website, which is on the show notes. I look forward to connecting with you, and thank you for listening. If you got questions about any of the episodes, feel free to reach out to me directly. And while you're there at it, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health. Thanks.